My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I take as my text this morning Mary's song. We sang it as the gradual hymn. You can find it on page 91 of the prayer book, and I invite you to follow along. To begin telling the story of Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Jesus and his cousin John helps us understand the context for this radical song we know as the Magnificat. Today we hear from the ladies. Mary is a pregnant immigrant teen. She's not married yet. And by custom, she would be cast on the street to live her life in shame. Her child would be insulted and forgotten. No one would care for either of them. So she's terrified, and rightly so. After the angel Gabriel visits her to announce God's plan, Mary travels the long and dangerous road to see her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth isn't just old. She's really old. And she has long given up on her dream of having children. In fact, when her husband Zechariah meets the angel Gabriel in the temple a few months earlier, he fails to believe God's promise that Elizabeth would have a son, retorting, For I am an old man. And my wife is getting on in years, which is a direct reference to Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham says the same thing about Sarah. Zechariah doubts boldly, I am old. And the angel retorts, I am Gabriel, and I stand before God. Hearing the incredible good news that Elizabeth would bear a child, the priest scoffs at God. God's promises sounded too good, and he doesn't dare believe. So do you know what Gabriel does? He takes away his voice. And Zechariah becomes mute until his son, John the Baptist, is born. When have we been like Zechariah? What do we most urgently ask of God? Safety, health, marriage, children, that exams would be over? peace in our families, joy in our relationships? What do we yearn for so deeply for which we're afraid even to ask? Because asking reminds us that we don't have it yet. Money, joy, the cancer would go away, that healing would come. Have we ever scoffed at God's promises? Do we believe, I mean really believe, that God provides a way out of no way? Can we trust God even and especially when we're broke? Personally, I can see Zechariah's point. And maybe that's why Gabriel took Zechariah's voice away, teaching him something important about listening and stepping back before speaking. So it is that the learned and credentialed priest has no choice but to listen to the women and children In this way, Luke tells us of a table-turning God. Now we're back at their home. Zechariah and Elizabeth, he can't say anything. She's pregnant. And Mary arrives, also pregnant. This is a scene. She's tired from her journey. She's early in her pregnancy still. She's young. She's like Greta Thunberg. She's like a young teen, you know? 
probably just starting to show her baby bump. She's dusty and she's scared. She knows not what comes next. And here on this well-swept, well-kept front porch of her older cousin, two women share the incredibly powerful bond of bearing a child. I imagine a long embrace of tears, Elizabeth holding Mary by the elbows, stunned, speechless, thrilled, and scared. Luke even tells us that the babies get involved. Elizabeth's baby, John, jumps in her belly as Jesus arrives, even now preparing the way for the Christ child. As John gets older, he becomes this great Baptist living out in the wilderness, wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and calling a people to repent. You can almost see the chunks of locusts stuck in his beard and smell the honey on his breath, calling, calling all of us to repent and hear of God's mercy. And then there's Jesus, his cousin, a little bit younger, who will learn so much from Mary. This is not an accident that Luke puts this early on in the narrative, because Greco-Roman biographies often start with just such an omen. You get the feeling that a great drama is about to play out. The curtain has just lifted. We meet the title characters. It's Act 1, Scene 1, and the overture has just finished. It's about to get good. But wait. Before the orchestra launches into Mary's song, don't lose sight of the danger she's in. Don't forget how scandalous this whole affair could become. Indeed, God comes to us so often in all the wrong ways, even at the wrong times. In this case, an unmarried immigrant teen gets pregnant with nothing but a promise from the Holy Spirit. Henry Nouwen asks, who could ever understand? Who could ever believe it? Who could ever let it happen? But Mary says, let it happen to me. And our very own Barbara Brown Taylor calls it like she sees it. The only thing that is absolutely sure in this scenario is that we have a partner who is with us and for us and who wants us to have life. Mary's trust in that fact is really all she has. If there are any big changes going on with you right now, if something is underway you cannot predict the end of, and your stomach is rolling with your own version of morning sickness, then you might try following Mary's lead. Who knows? Maybe the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Maybe that shadow hanging over you is the power of the Most High. And while it would certainly be nice to have some details about how it will all turn out, that is not really necessary, is it? You know how God has acted in the past. I sometimes imagine her writing, imagining us here. It just seems like she's speaking to me when I read her. It's so amazing. And so it is that Mary says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. I love Mary's exuberance. It flies in the face of logic, but it is true to her. She literally magnifies the Lord, which is to say God increases and she decreases. This joy is the reason we celebrate Gaudete Sunday on the third week in Advent. The church has for centuries observed that Latin phrase, 
Gaudete, which means rejoice. You'll see pink and rose colors throughout the service today on the Advent wreath, the third, calend- the third candle at the altar, and you'll hear a bright major tonality in our music, all preparing us to be stunned by Mary's complexity. She magnifies the Lord, there's no doubt about that, but she has a deeper story to tell. She continues, noting that God's mercy has never failed from generation to generation, from old Abraham and Sarah all the way to Joseph and Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth. In many ways, this Magnificat is Luke's thesis statement. Mary's song sets the stage for Jesus of Nazareth, who cares about economy and poverty in your actual life. In other words, Mary teaches him everything he knows. The apple does not fall far from the tree. It has been wondered whether Jesus got his material about the poor and the hungry and the meek being blessed from his mom, who must have taught him that God dreamed of a very different world, one of justice and healing and peace that would surely come to be. Mary's song is no call to violence, but it certainly scatters the proud in their conceit. Indeed, the government authorities banned this text in Guatemala in the 1980s, calling it subversive and dangerous. That God wouldn't want you to go hungry. That God wouldn't want there to be incredible poverty. That God would dream of a different world. It goes to show you the lightning that crackles inside this text. So Mary thunders on meek and strong. God has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich will be sent away empty. Taylor again. She's no longer singing the song, but the song is singing her as a scandalized teen becomes an articulate radical, an astonished prophet singing about the world in which the last have become first and the first last. She is singing about it ahead of time, not in the future tense, but in the past, as if the promise had already come true. Prophets almost never get their verb tenses right. Because part of their gift is being able to see the world as God sees it. Not divided into things that are already over, but things that have not happened yet. But actually as an eternally unfolding mystery that surprises everyone. Mary's surprise is grounded in the promise of God. She continues, God has come to the help of his servant Israel, for God has remembered the promise of mercy, the promise made to our forebears, to Abraham and Sarah and their children forever. How stunning it is that a young girl, faced with danger and a life of unexpected turns, would draw on the sacred story of her people to remember God's saving deeds of old, Fred Craddock gets it right. Mary calls us to stand expectantly at hope's window, to trust in the promises of God because that is all we have. So this Advent, as we await the birth of Jesus, God with us incarnate Emmanuel, I invite you to write your own Magnificat. I invite you to ponder in your heart and to actually write it out with a pen and paper. How might God surprise you turning your world upside down? What is the single greatest thing 
you could say about God? How has God shown up for you, even and especially when you were afraid? How has God scandalized your life, turning the tables of your expectations inside your temple of prescribed norms? If you were faced with a scandal on Mary's scale, whose front porch would you drive to? Whose phone would you call or text first? And what would you say? Standing expectantly at Hope's window, what song would you sing? Staring fear in the face, how might God bless you with the courage to say, Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. And mean it. Amen.